Hello, Kachimbonas. I'm so excited to bring you this next episode of the podcast where I spoke with Yaneli, a volunteer with No More Deaths, No Mas Muertes, a volunteer humanitarian aid group based in the southern border of Arizona that also has ties to the Universalist Church and has a medical camp out in the desert for folks who need life-saving care in the desert. And we spoke about recent events where Border Patrol has raided this medical camp that I'm mentioning. And is an this is an example of the ever-escalating hatred towards migrants and those who seek to help them. In this case, humanitarian aid volunteers volunteers in the desert. If you are interested in ways to support the podcast, you can become a Lit Review patron. The Lit Review is a fun time where I, along with my women of color guests, dissect timely texts over wine. And it's really an attempt to reclaim books, reclaim literature for us as women of color, as intellectuals, and it's really just a good time. So I encourage y'all to become Lit Review patrons and or you can also purchase merch. I have bookmarks and keychains and stickers that you all can rock to show your support of Radio Cachimbona. And really the easiest way to help is to leave an Apple podcast rating and review sharing why you love the podcast. You all can also follow at Radio Cachimbona on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Hope you all enjoy. So do you just want to start by telling me what happened? What point do you want me to start off at? Like the, the raid in, in July? Yeah, that's a good place to start. Start there. Okay. And can I spanglish it? Yeah, yeah. No worries. Cool. Sounds good. So, yeah, my name's Anna Lee. Oh, you didn't just already, so I don't need to introduce myself. Yeah, so I can start off. So no more deaths. Our main focus is to end death and suffering along the borderlands, um, particularly around so-called Arizona and Sonora. And in the last 15 plus years that we've been out there, particularly through our camps and our humanitarian aid stations. There's been six raids in total. And one of the most, yeah, one of the most noted ones was in 2017, right after we released one of our reports that showcased all of the abuse that Border Patrol was doing. And in that initial, or in that one, there were two folks that were, at the barn, which is one of our humanitarian aid stations in Ajo that were detained along with a volunteer, Dr. Scott Warren. And that's where like we got a lot of recognition. And that's oftentimes how people come to like have like came to know no more deaths outside of the Tucson area. And in so because Scott Warren was charged with harboring because of his involvement with humanitarian aid and was ultimately acquitted, but it was a long road to get there. Yeah, it was a process of three years or so, and I believe he was facing up to 20 years in jail. And yeah, it was a long process. And 
in terms of like que pasó con las otras personas, they were held as material witnesses before being deported. So I think that's often important to recognize esas, esas distinciones mm -hmm. where like Scott was able to stay in his community and folks who were further criminalized were used as material witnesses and objectified and then exactly. deported. So yeah. yeah. And then the most recent raid happened in July on the 31st. It was a Friday and Border Patrol had been building up surveillance around our aid camp in Arivaca. And este, for a couple of days, mm -hmm. so there was constant surveillance and that really hinders our ability to be used as a space of resource if there's like constant surveillance, like la gente no va, no va a tener mm -hmm. la confianza por Definitely. like obvious reason, reasons a entrar a, a recibir apoyo y el apoyo que puede salvar mm -hmm. sus vidas. Pero sí empezó, creo que on Wednesday there was a lot of surveillance and then on Thursday Border Patrol entered our camp, which is on private property without a warrant and detained someone. And then the following day, it was around like 6.30 or so or 6 when they entered camp. And again, there was a, a big buildup. There was over 25, like 25 is a really conservative guess on like how many marked and unmarked cars were along the roads. Wow. Yeah. And they surrounded like, we're in a pretty remote mm -hmm. area. And so they had vehicles. It's very rural and it's not very populated. See, see, they were like, surrounded the camp on all of the dirt roads and started, and it like began with a helicopter hovering around camp. And was that when the surveillance started, or was that when the raid? When occurred? the raid, when the raid started, the surveillance had been going. I mean, I think es una cosa que sucede en el desierto todo el tiempo, mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah. They, there was a couple of helicopters flying around. But this one, El Viernes, was flying particularly low, like super, super low. And then Border Patrol entered with a militarized car that looked like a tank, which pretty much was a tank. And the first thing that they did was detain the volunteers that were there so that we would be removed from capturing and witnessing to the raid that was about to go down. Yeah, all the volunteers were apprehended, pushed mm -hmm. aside, and our phones were seized. And all we could hear is este, conversaciones and like the radio and like their, yeah, that they were like having with one another and obvious scatter mm -hmm. of folks and apprehensions and detentions of people that were at camp. And I think it's an, it follows like a similar style of retaliation retaliation that happened or that border patrol often practices when they get exposed for the abuse and violence that they perpetuate on the daily we had just released something mm -hmm. regarding be board the border patrol union putting pressure on the local chapter mm -hmm. to essentially be more or put more enforcement on our work because they were perceiving local VP to be too lenient with no more death soon after. Wow. Yeah. That was coming from the Border Patrol Union? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, the Border Patrol Union is very right-wing. It was one of the first groups to endorse Trump before 
anybody in mainstream media was even acknowledging that he was a serious candidate. Yeah, the Border Patrol is super pro-Trump, super anti-migrant. It's a really horrible organization that doesn't value life at all. And Mm -hmm. they put that political pressure back in 2017, and that's the raid that took place in Ajo. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to go off a bit on how you're mentioning that they don't respect life. I wanted to make it a bit clear where how the retaliation comes into this because with Scott Warren's arrest, no more, you all had put out, No More Deaths had put out a report about Border Patrol interference with humanitarian aid. And there were videos that were released of Border Patrol slashing the water and the the food that you all leave out for migrants who are crossing in the desert. And just wanted to, I guess, also have you speak a bit more about the work that No More Dust does, because I'm not sure that everybody knows that, actually. I, I know you all have a really high profile, unfortunately, because of the stuff that happened with Scott Warren, but also, I think there's people that don't really understand that the border is a really deadly place. And then it's, it's like intentionally become a really deadly place through government policy. Mm-hmm. So just wanted to have you speak a bit on that. Yes. So Norma Zetz comes out of the solidarity movements with folks in Central America when folks were fleeing a lot of the civil wars. And so there's been like a really rich community of support desde ese entonces. And we do have a history of coming from a faith-based origin. And este, y pues sí, hemos estado en el desierto desde ese entonces apoyando a las personas. No more deaths as, the, as what, what we know it now started in 2004. And we worked to end death and suffering along the borderlands. And we ground ourselves in the and asserting that everyone has the right to give and receive aid. And yeah, and the way that we do that is through providing water in the desert, food, shelter, and medical aid. And so we have two humanitarian aid stations, one in Ajo and one in Arivaca. And both areas are places that have been weaponized by Border Patrol, particularly through the prevention through deterrence policy that began in 1994, and it was signed soon after the North American Free Trade Agreement that really destabilized Mexico. Mm. And part of the policy of prevention through deterrence is that they knew that they were shifting Mm -hmm. enforcement and further militarizing urbanized areas that people were going to have to move towards more rural areas where there's less likelihood of encountering another person and where the desert is it's there's the terrain is different it's rougher it's harsher and because we're not addressing the root causes of migration which the U.S. intentionally perpetuates and pushes forward the U.S. intervention, like people are going to have to migrate. And so part of the policy was written in a way that knew that people were going to die as a result of this shift in the way that enforcement and militarization was going to was going to happen since 1994. 
And so desde ese punto hemos visto a tremendous increase in, in the loss of life of our compañeros that are crossing the desert. I think overall there's been approximately 7,000 folks who have been disappeared in the borderlands. And that number, I think we all know, is severely it's the inaccurate. There's like so many folks that will unfortunately not be found. And yes, la crisis que estamos hablando. We see the borderlands and the creation of, mm-hmm. of death as a huge humanitarian aid crisis that's taking place along, along this region. Mm-hmm. And so our, our main objective is to, to end that. And we do that through mutual aid by showing up and right acting in solidarity with folks that are traveling through these lands. Yeah, thanks for giving that history. I think it is really important to talk about prevention through deterrence because it's, it, you know, it's a plan that goes very deep into, as you say, all of Border Patrol enforcement and border militarization. Like the interior checkpoints that, you know, there's one when you're going into Arivaca, for example, they're all over the South and they're placed in strategic locations so that folks will know, folks will avoid those areas with border patrol presence. And as people kind of come to, through word of mouth, hear about border patrol enforcement, then it drives migration into places where border patrol is not, which is just the deadliest parts of the desert. Yeah, the people are pushed into really remote areas, and unfortunately, there's they're still very militarized. Like I, there's folks that share, you know, seeing drones or agents. La cosa creo que pues sí, como estás diciendo tú, there's there's those checkpoints that people try to avoid and journeys that could have been or that used to be like the algunos días have turned into a week or like weeks or months in order for people to seek safety and in order for people to be reunited with people that they love. Right. It's also elongated the time that it takes to cross the border because of how difficult the terrain is and also because it's very easy to get lost. And mm-hmm. the, that's kind of why humanitarian aid is so critical. And I, I really appreciate the history that you give because I think the border is weaponized in political discourse and it's oftentimes people who are not border residents who are making policy and using it as a talking point. And I think it's just really important to highlight that actually this place has a really long history of, as you say, mutual aid, because the desert is mm-hmm. really deadly and folks recognize, folks who live here recognize that. And it's kind of a basic human empathic response to want to give someone food and water because you know that it's deadly in the desert. Yeah, the work did not begin and it will not end with no more deaths. It's definitely definitely sit in a larger conversation and history and ecosystem of doing mutual aid along the borderlands. And más que allá, we are only, as like no más muertes in our humanitarian aid camps, we're a small speck in a larger ecosystem that exists and we only witness so much, pero algo que sí sabemos que que por la política que existe, Border Patrol really dictates the way that people and living things are able to exist in this area. 
and what happened, the raids that have taken place at our humanitarian aid stations. It's not particular to us. It's algo que sucede todo el tiempo en el desierto. We're just there to witness it. And it's such a en estas ocasiones, pero de que mm. las personas y otras personas, people, people witness this all of the time and people are unfortunately the targets of right. repression and abuse from Border Patrol agents that are often accustomed to not being held accountable to anything and there being no repercussions for their actions and acting in really violent and humane ways. Right. So was there any resolution after that initial raid? Were charges made, arrests made, did you come to any sort of resolution with the Border Patrol or was there kind of radio silence? Were you surprised by this most recent raid? Yeah, so after the uh, the raid on July 31st, there were attempts to have follow-up conversations with Border Patrol And on multiple occasions, they refused to meet with us. And so I think something that we've been, we have a couple of community liaisons that Mm -hmm. meet with Border Patrol to discuss different things. And that it's been really hard, I feel, for folks who do play that role to to have open dialogue about the changes that are happening with the way that they relate to humanitarian aid. Mm-hmm. What are those changes? Yeah, so some of the, I can't speak to the details to, to what those changes are, but it, on multiple occasions, they have refused to meet with us. Yeah. A mutual understanding of like uplifting the International Red Cross protocol and providing humanitarian aid. And that mm-hmm. seems like it's shifting based on the way that they've been interacting with us. And so in terms of the raid on the 30th, mm-hmm. I think we saw similar practices of like there being a buildup of surveillance, which inherently inhibits our ability to do our, our work because people might not feel safe to come to our camp with very mm-hmm. good reason because there's this constant surveillance in, of camp. I think that... Yes, I think that inherently an attack on us is just another way of them attacking folks that are are traveling along the borderlands. I think it's una manera que like nos atacan a nosotros para atacar a otras personas, and it's it's really disheartening and not disheartening, but it's really enraging that that's happening and that people need support in the desert and water is so sacred in many different shapes and forms in the desert. And, you know, there's a space where people can access that and Border Patrol inhibiting that is another way that they're perpetuating death. What is the future for No More Deaths in the face of this ever-present hostile border patrol and in a climate where the border is ostensibly close, but what that really means is that border patrol is deporting people with no due process and in a shadow system, essentially? I think for No More Deaths, we 
still like our mission remains the same to end death and suffering along the borderlands and as long as there's policies like prevention through deterrence and border patrol pushing these types of deadly practices there's going to be a a need for support Mm. well it's really amazing and it's really heartening to know that you all are moving forward and just continuing the work because it's necessary to save lives what how can people support no more deaths if they're interested in doing so if you want to support our work, you could definitely, if you're interested and have time, you can volunteer with us. Um, we just started our, we started our month-long desert aid volunteer program where folks come out for a month and support in that way. I think that there's also helping elevate the voices of folks that are going through this. Más que nada lo más importante este, y pues tener las conversaciones mm-hmm. difíciles con nuestras familias and other folks in our own communities because the borderland doesn't just exist along, mm-hmm. you know, this this artificial line or like not artificial because there's walls along this line, but it's the like human-made line in land. I think that one of the ways that we see esta conexión is through Bortac, que también participó en las redadas acá at our humanitarian aid stations, but also was like in Portland and 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 in 10 other cities detaining migrants mm-hmm. and also like well, protesting yeah. and participating in Black liberation struggles. And so yeah. the borderland, unfortunately, does, doesn't just exist in areas like Arizona. It exists everywhere. And so like getting involved in your own local community to make the changes that we need to make with each other and with the gente directamente impactada telling us the ways that we need to navigate this world, you know? Right. Yeah, it's super important to point out BORTAC because it is unprecedented that BORTAC would be so far from the border, in particular in Portland, because it is this militarized unit of the border that allegedly is dedicated to the most difficult crimes to enforce. So they have a narrative of national security and of, and as, as a result are very heavily militarized and I think have a very dangerous policing mentality. And I think that people really should be afraid of Border Patrol because Border Patrol wants to become like a national police force. And we should be paying attention to the abuses at the border because this is an agency that has gotten a lot of encouragement from this administration and has an actual goal of becoming a national police force, which is, you know, it operates like a fascist agency with no accountability and folks should really be scared of that. Yeah, Bortek is the the SWAT unit or the tactical unit of um, CBP and they have been deployed to places like Portland and I think back in February they were also deployed to 10 different cities that were being targeted for not like having police ice collaboration and Bortec I think mm-hmm. yeah quote unquote sanctuary cities yeah sanctuary quote unquote sanctuary cities but yeah Bortec has also been used in really dangerous ways in other nations doing mm. tactical trainings and with police in other nations and also training the paramilitary mm-hmm. like groups and so este yeah mm-hmm. Bortec is 
is something to be aware of and it's like another move towards fascism when different when there's like this level of militarization being used to repress uprises right i mean the it was some entity of dhs that was acting like a paramilitary when they arrested people in an unmarked car and dragged them away without the what the procedures that are Mm -hmm. supposed to occur during an arrest and that is how that already happened and that has been happening to folks who are at the mercy of ice because Mm -hmm. and i mean this is just kind of a lesson in why none of us are free until all of us are free because portland is just an escalation of enforcement tactics that have long been used against migrants Mm -hmm. at the border Yeah, in the borderlands and, like, también inside the U.S. Yes, las prácticas de taking people out of their homes. Mm-hmm. Again, sometimes Border Patrol agents are dressed up in their uniforms and sometimes they're not. They're wearing regular jeans and a T-shirt and they take people out of, like, courtrooms or homes or their, you name it. So estas prácticas son parte de, like, they're, like, at the core of... Border Patrol, ICE, Bortec. We're not, we'll be free when we're all collectively free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, I feel like people don't know like how loosely Border Patrol defines the border. Mm-hmm. First of all, there is a heavy Northwest presence, there is a heavy, sorry, presence at the Northern border. And also like they, you know, they count like the Great Lakes around the the body of water that's closest to Chicago that counts as a border. So right, so there's like a really heavy presence there. Border patrol presence in Detroit as well. And then yeah, on top of that, there's ICE that does the rest of the interior enforcement, which, as you say, they often do plain clothes, no accountability, very sneaky, mm-hmm. very scary. Mm-hmm. So look, it's almost like what happened in Portland. That's something that you know happens all the time and has been happening in in Portland with folks who are viewed as less human. And I think that's that's a big concern that like oh like one of the differences de las formas que Border Patrol interacts with us who are volunteers versus folks that they categorize as unhuman and it's it's algo que están acostumbrados because there's like oftentimes they're doing their work in places that there's no visibility or there's no account. Yeah, there's no accountability in anyone to like hold, to like document la violencia que hacen todos los días. Entonces esas, esas prácticas, unfortunately, son normales. <laughs> yeah. Is that how you felt when Border Patrol was, you know, had detained the volunteers, but then ultimately ended up arresting the undocumented folks. Was that just a continuation of, as you say, this differential treatment where they treat migrants the worst that they possibly can? Yeah, I think that it's something that folks who are categorized as humanitarian aid workers, whether it's through that affiliation with mm. esa, esa historia or the fact that Nomás Muertes is a predominantly white organization mm-hmm. that is has a history of like faith-based and mm-hmm. the fact that a lot of volunteers either have are citizens or have legal permanent residents. That is a layer of protection. And 
I think para gente que no tiene esa, esos privilegios and as people that, you know, are constantly criminalized in the borderlands and in other places, people, people are stripped of their humanity and that's part of the policing and right. criminalization of all peoples, not just migrants. And yeah, people were detained and sent to detention centers, which I think it's pretty sure that Arizona has like the highest COVID cases in their detention centers and so it's it's exposing people to to death in multiple facets or like multiple elements of yeah it's absolutely um, horrible yeah of a system of imprisoning and caging people and kidnapping people yeah right it's truly awful it's it's a robbery of liberty and then also it's literally putting people in risk of death you know after risking their lives crossing the border now they're at risk of contracting covid mm-hmm. yeah see see. well you know like, i just wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me i i wanted to ask if there's anything that you wanted to discuss that you feel like we didn't get to touch on yeah i think something that comes to mind is that uplifting the fact that the most courageous people are the folks that are migrating and always to center them and, and these narratives that oftentimes they're either treated as not eaten by border patrol as non non-humans and not worthy of of life and right. um, being treated as victims and that's not the case. Like people mm-hmm. have their stories, people have their own lives, their own dreams, their own worries. We're as humanitarian aid or or like gente ya apoyando en el desierto, es un privilegio for us to be present for such courageous acts that happen on the daily and such resilience. Y no, no es fácil. Creo que eso es parte de like, recognizing that. And people are still so resilient and still experience joy. Cuando se puede en, esos, en, en espacios. And like support each other. Like I think that's, a, that's another big thing. Like people are practicing right. that like, community support as they're going as they're migrating through not all the times but oftentimes and I think that it's not just no more deaths it's not and communities that reside along the borderlands but it's folks that have been supporting each other this border after borderlands this Central America mm-hmm. Mexico and overseas there's been that apoyo también and again that the the borderlands and the land in and of itself is not violent and that border patrol has intentionally put practices and policies and militarized this zone as a way to cause death not only to humans Mm -hmm. but animals and the land and water sources in and of themselves and so I think that también no tener el resentimiento contra la tierra que also is really resilient just as as humans are because cuantas personas no han visto, cuantas historias no han escuchado. And, right. Y pues sí, este, yeah, people in the land are resilient and I think that's, that's also why we're out there. And, uh, and no more death is out there to prevent death and suffering along the borderlands and we're going to try our best to be out there. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you and I appreciate all the work that you do and the ways that you show up for our people every day and really appreciate you bringing up that mutual aid is something that the 
Latinx diaspora has long engaged in. And I think it's really important to say apoyo, to bring in these different frames, because that is what's happening. And yeah, thank you so much. I hope you feel better and have a very restful rest of your weekend. Yeah, likewise. Thanks. (laughs) All right. Take care. Bye.